Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Drone Chat, brought to you by Safe Droning Australia, supplier of UAV safety equipment. Visit the website safedroningaustralia.com.au to find out more. In this episode, I'm chatting with Dr. Karen Joyce from SheMaps. Hello, Karen, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Hans, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Good. So, tell me a little bit about yourself, about Dr. Karen. All right. So, I, I have an environmental science background. So, I'm really, really interested in the environment around me. What I do as part of, part of my job, I guess, is to make maps of that environment and how it changes over time. And I do this a lot with satellites, like what you might see on Google Earth. But more recently, as in the last five or six years or so, I've started to use more drones in my work as well. So a lot of the time I'll be out on the Great Barrier Reef primarily is my main area of interest and flying drones and getting satellite data and trying to map the amount of live coral that we have out there. So you're a licensed pilot, drone pilot yourself? Yeah, that's right. I got my license a few years ago now, back in 2014, I think it was. Okay, so what what sort of drones do you fly predominantly? I fly quite a few different ones, actually. So when I when I first started out, so I'm mostly interested in in the cameras that we can put on drones and the and the data that we that we get off them. So I'm really interested in having in having decent cameras on those drones. And when I first started out. The learning to fly, um, the the smallest drones around didn't have cameras on them, or they had cameras that were facing forwards, whereas I need cameras facing down. So I used to strap a camera to the bottom of drones just to just to sort of learn the basics of doing that. And then my first serious drone was a DJI S800, which is um, uh, has has six motors on it and really quite a big scary thing to fly back in 2014 and we put a, a digital SLR camera on that as well and it had a grand total of five minutes flying time which was about as much as I could handle at the time because it was so stressful and, and that was about as much as we could deal with emotionally I think um, but after that, I've had a few custom builds made for me. So I've, my largest drone weighs 35 kilos and that carries a range of different cameras as a payload. I really like the old 3D robotic Solo, which was discontinued a couple of years ago now, but we still fly that one. Also fly the Phantoms, the Mavics. And all the way down to the teeny tiny tellos and parrot mambos for training exercises with students as well. So big, big range. Have you tried the new DJI Maverick Enterprise? No. So I've got I've got the Mavic Pro, the initial one that came out, but haven't haven't I have flown the Mavic Two, but I haven't used the Enterprise, I guess, software and, and infrastructure that sits around that. No. Fair enough. So. As well as obviously doing, you're involved in doing research. I take it on the Great Barrier Reef. Yep, that's right. You've you've also got she maps. Now, tell me a little bit about she maps. So she maps is a is my husband and myself and our eight year old who kind of comes in as part of it. We so we started 
started up a program to start to work with students and and bringing them into the I guess the geospatial science space, which is all the mapping type of stuff that we do, but also the general science tech, engineering and maths space as well that's so popular in schools at the moment. So the reason why we started working in this area was way back in in 2016 and it was National Science Week and the theme for National Science Week that year was drones. And so there are quite a, a few local schools up here in Cairns who had actually gotten in touch with me. They knew what I was doing with drones at the university and they asked me to come out and talk to their students about what it was that I did. And it was really interesting. I really enjoyed going to visit the local primary or elementary schools and they're always so enthusiastic and kids of all ages just having loads and loads of different questions about my drones, their names, how much they cost, what they do, all that sort of stuff. But then when I went to high schools, I noticed that only boys showed up for my talk and there just weren't any girls. And I started to wonder why it was that, that there weren't any girls in the room and asked a few of my colleagues and they told me that they experienced the same sort of thing across a range of different science, tech, engineering and maths fields as well that the girls just tend to drop off around that grade 7, grade 8 age. And so I wondered what would happen if I actually went back to the same high school and, and offered a girls-only experience. And so back in 2017, I actually received some funding to do just that and went to the local high school and said, okay, well, how about if we have a day just for girls? And I was thinking, oh, you know, we might be lucky if we got about 20 girls show up. And within 24 hours, we had a list of 60 girls and a waiting list. Wow, six, 60 and a waiting list. Yeah, when I was prepared to work with 20 kids at once, I was like, hmm, right. <laughs> so how do we work with 60? So, so what did you do? Did you, did you actually do the whole class of 60? So what I, what I then decided to do, so this was a few weeks out because I just sort of put out there, let's see what happens. And, and I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to say no to kids, so, uh, but I can't deal with 60 kids all at once. So instead I decided that the, the program that I had in my mind, I didn't want to reduce any of it. So I thought I'm just going to have to do it really, really fast. And I'll work with 30 kids at a time, do it super fast, and then bring the next group of 30 in. Um, so I had two and a half hours with each group of 30 students and had just a whirlwind time working with those kids. We had 10 drones up and flying at the same time. So the kids are in groups of three. And we, we had an awesome day. And then... The amazing thing was that there, after that day, there were so many schools that started ringing me up going, oh, could I come and do that same thing with their school? So that's sort of how my program started. And since then, we've run the program over 200 times around Australia, the US, the UK, and we've worked with about 5,000 students in that time as well. So it's been pretty a pretty interesting journey. <laughs> You've actually been doing it overseas as well. So th- they've contacted you from overseas and said, hey, we've heard what you're doing. We, we want to be part of it. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So 
back in, I think it was 20, yeah, 2017, I had people from Florida contact me and ask me to come over and give a talk about what I do over there. So that was at the University of Central Florida with Professor Tim Hawthorne over there. And so I went over there, gave a talk, worked with some of his students, and then together we went to Belize and did some field work there and worked with the University of Belize as well. So that was fun. We then went back in 2018 and ran programs for staff and graduate students at Duke University and they now run their own programs over there, which is cool, and a couple of programs in Chicago with, a, with our partners, Women and Drones, over there as well. So that was, that was pretty big to do that. And also then also got invited to NASA to talk about it as well. So gave a bit of a talk over there too. So you got invited by NASA? Yes. <laughs> wow. You get around, don't you, Dr. Karen? Yeah, it was, yeah we were over... Uh, in 2018, we were in the States for about three or four weeks, I think it was, just, um, yeah, talking about my research and the program and stuff. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> okay. So the, the programs you're offering in the schools, can you just give us a little bit of an outline on, on what's involved and what the students can learn from it? Yeah, so I, we have a number of different programs, but the most common program that we run is that same two-and-a-half-hour one that I originally imagined for our local school up here. And essentially what I did with that program and what we continue to do today as well is to think about what it is that I, I do as in my job as a geospatial scientist. And the concept was how can I package that up into something that is a hands-on activity for two and a half hours with 30 students to get them ex- to experience what it's like to be a geospatial scientist for a day. And so as part of that, what we do is we have a we have a facilitated discussion at the beginning. So talk about all sorts of things to do with drones, what they're used for, their different applications. And then we give the students a, a scenario that there's been a, a natural disaster in a nearby town. And they're the first on the scene. They have a drone, they're geospatial scientists, and their job is to map the area to capture data for the local authorities to let them know about the extent of the impact. And so as part of that, they work in teams of three. So they have a a pilot, a co-pilot and and a reporter. So someone who takes photos and notes and they, they change between those roles and they learn all about the safety aspects. So they have to undertake safety checks with their little micro drones. So these are little parrot mandos or tellos. So they do their safety checks and then they learn how to safely manually fly the drones, so thumbs on sticks stuff. And then after that, they're taken to an area that's the hypothetical disaster area, which is really a nice big big map, which is a satellite image of a local town. And they have to learn to create a mission and use computer programming to get their drone to fly that mission and capture aerial photos. And that, as you can imagine, is a ton of work to get through in two and a half hours. But we managed to do it, and it's it's a complete whirlwind, and we had lots and lots of fun doing it as well. So in other words, you're training the future UAV operators who are going to be doing all our mapping and, and surveying work. 
Effectively, yeah, it's the first little taster of what that's like to understand that drones aren't just there for for flying just for the sake of flying and they can do far more than take pretty pictures as well. And I think that's that's part of my my bias, I guess, with, with the background that I have and and the types of things that I see people doing with drones and this idea that I, I like people to branch out and think that there's so much more to drones than pretty pictures and what can we do when we consider them as data collectors and that's where I think the future is for drones as well. If one of our listeners is sitting here going, hmm, this sounds interesting, I wouldn't mind getting into this, Obviously, you have a website that they can uh, have a look at and contact you through. What's what's your website address? Yeah, it's just shemaps.com. So you could even just Google for shemaps. Wow, that's nice and simple, shemaps.com, okay. That's right, yep. And all through social media as well. So lots, lots of stuff on Twitter and Facebook. Okay, excellent. All right, so we've got the website, shemaps, Facebook, and Instagram, you said, wasn't it? Uh, Twitter. Twitter, sorry, Twitter, okay. Now, I've heard that you you guys are putting together a conference, but this time the conference is a little bit different to most conferences. Now, the sort of conference I've always been to, you've had to pack your overnight bag and get yourself to some remote location and, and sit in on, on a conference. How are you doing your conference? Yes, yeah, so this is something that my husband and I have been working on that's really, really exciting for us. So our conference is called EduDrone and with a real play on the education in the drone space. And the background to this particular conference is that we we run a Facebook group that's called SheMaps Chat and there's about 400 teachers in there. And whenever someone comes to join in the Facebook group, they're asked a question that says, what would you like to learn most from this group? And the vast majority, I'm talking over 90% of people who have joined in that group have said that they want to see what other people are doing. And most people, we feel that many teachers that are interested in the drone space are a little bit nervous about how to get started and they just want to see how everyone else is doing it and how they can get involved. And so we started thinking about this and we were thinking, oh, how, how do we get more teachers to share their story and get everyone involved in what's happening? And so we thought a conference was a good way to go. But I also know that conferences are really, really expensive. They're expensive to run and they're expensive for people to get to in terms of their own travel time, the, the cost of it of accommodation and also the cost on the environment as well, just in terms of flights and getting people to places. So what we thought we could try and do was to run a 100% online conference instead. And so EduDrone is is our very first attempt at a world-first online drone education conference. And it's running at the end of September, beginning of October. So we have five days. We have 40 speakers over those five days in two sessions, one at 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time and one at 7 p.m. And so obviously the two time two time points there are times that we've picked so that we, we have an international audience that, able, that are able to participate as well. In each, each block, they're just one hour each, so relatively short, easy to digest. Four speakers, one keynote and three sessionals and then some time for questions afterwards. So really short, snappy presentations 
from people that we know are amazing speakers, amazing educators, and doing some really, really cool things with drone technology in their classrooms as well. So it's it's something that is is open to everyone all around the world. We've got got people from about a dozen different countries at the moment already registered. It's super exciting. I yeah, I really can't wait to see where we take it and and how we can get everyone collaborating in this space as well. That sounds like a great idea. I, I really like the th- the sound of this because one of one of the key aspects of drones is that we we talk about the how that they have low level impact on the environment, and you're actually holding and running a conference that's going to be almost non impacting the environment at all. Yeah, this is really important to me as as an environmental scientist. It's part of my professional life, but also personally as well. You know, you you can plant trees and do carbon offsets for all the flights that you take but it's better to not take the flight in the first place and the other thing that conferences also do is that there's always a lot of waste there's food waste there's plastic waste there's all sorts of additional giveaways that can be quite wasteful as well and we can completely remove all of that by doing an online conference not only is it therefore better for the environment but it's so much better for your back pocket as well so it's super cheap to run and you can you can attend from wherever you are in the world you can watch the recorded replays it's it's just it's so convenient okay so you've mentioned recorded replays so for argument's sake, if I, I register to, to be part of this conference and one of the days I can't be online at 10 o'clock when the session starts, but because I've registered and I'm part of the conference, I can sit and watch that morning session at some stage in the next couple of days, for example. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, So we plan to allow the recordings to be available for at least six months post-conference for all the registered um, Look, I really like the sound of this. What you're doing in general of, of educating, showing young kids as they're growing up what, what they can get into and what, what benefits there are. Yeah, so I think the core to what we're really trying to do is to, is, is to look at how we can actually diversify people's ideas on a couple of different topics here. So one of, one of the things that we know is that we, we actually don't have enough women in science, technology, engineering and maths careers at the moment in Australia. So we're only at about 27% there. We don't have very many female drone pilots either. So estimates at the moment are sort of anywhere between 1% and 5% in Australia. So super low. So that's something that we're really trying to role model with our programs. But the other aspect that we know is that there's also a lot of stereotyping around what science, tech, engineering and maths or STEM is in the first place. So a lot of people think of scientists as being people with lab coats, glasses, test tubes, maybe some crazy hair and think perhaps more broadly of STEM being about 3D printers and makerspaces. But when we start to stereotype those types of concepts, we actually start to create these ideas that people either do or don't identify with. Now, it's great if you do identify with those concepts and you want to be part of that. That's awesome. But if you start to think of a young student, and often I ask ask students this, I ask them if they're interested in science, and often they'll say no. 
And so I asked, why is it that they don't like science? And predominantly, the answer will be is that they don't like being in a laboratory and they and the idea of of the lab coats and that just doesn't appeal to them. And really what they're thinking of is that they don't like chemistry or physics or maybe biology. Um, and that's fine because you don't not everybody likes all different types of science. But actually categorizing it like that, start to cut out the types of things that people might be interested in and might actually contribute to as part of the workforce in the future. Geospatial science is one of those growing fields that most most people don't even know exists as a science, yet everything that we do is underpinned by geospatial. We have apps on our phones that always ask about location services. We expect our maps to be accurate when we go from point A to point B and judge the distance and time that it's going to take us to get there. We expect to see the best imagery when we zoom into Google Maps and the satellite view. So all this stuff is geospatial information and geospatial data and it's geospatial science that underpins all of this, yet many people don't know about it. So these are the sorts of things that we're really trying to bring to the forefront and open people's eyes to the different types of careers that might be available to them in the future outside of those standard stereotypes. I'm guessing that your role is to try and obviously educate people and show uh, students to show, I suppose, adults as well, to broaden their ideas of what they can be involved in, how... The UAV and drones can help in that technology. Now, the training that you give them, do they get any qualifications from it? No, so we don't we don't have a certification process. So if you think about the certificate to get your your repo, for example, we don't we don't do that and and in fact we don't even say that we're we're teaching people to be drone pilots at all. It still heavily suggests that people go through a repo provider or one of the organizations that also does the sub two kilo training. So we absolutely don't do that. Our focus is on just providing that stepping stone in terms of using micro drones and then if schools do want to be using the the sub two kilos with a, with or without a repo because schools don't need repos but if they do want to be working in that space then we'll help them in terms of what they can do with the data and doing mission planning and mapping those sorts of things there's there's no certification with that either unless those same people then want to come into into university to, to join courses to do graduate diplomas, that sort of thing as well. But there's, other than that, there's, there's a happy certificate from SheMaps, but it's, it's not a formal process. Yeah, okay. I mean, that, that's one of the things I learnt very quickly when, when I first got involved with drones was I originally was looking at it from the point of view because I was helping people with, with building their websites. My wife and I were doing this as a, as a business. We realised, okay, we can get some really good imagery by using drones. So, of course, I went and, and uh, got my uh, report, which is by remote pilot's licence, and then I uh, had the company certified with a REOC, which, as you know, is, um, and for benefit of our listeners, is a, a licensed company to operate drones as a business. And the, the sort of things I learnt in just doing the course really opened my eyes up 
to realise that there was a lot there. But even since then, the, the amount of things that, that, that drones can do. I mean, I've picked up a, 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 some jobs working with insurance companies after a storm's been through and there's storm damage and we do a, a survey of the damaged roof of the building and then that way they can completely see how, how much damage there is. B, they, from the data that we collect, as you'd be aware, people can work out exactly how much it's going to cost and what materials they need to do the job without having to send somebody up on the roof unnecessarily. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think that's that's the key thing though, that it's it's what's the value add that you can provide as as a drone operator and and it is all in the data that they can capture. And I mean, and obviously, what what you've been able to do is creating a, another area again for for people to be involved in. And it might be, I mean, if somebody's passionate about the environment, and they wondered how they could sort of be involved in it, they may not have thought of this sort of avenue. And and now they've got a great avenue to work with. Yeah, absolutely, and, and it's interesting as well because so previously getting getting decent data of the environment from above, the types of things that we'd use would be satellites, which provide amazing information, but not the same level of detail as drones. Uh, we can use aerial standard aerial camera surveys, but they're super, super expensive. So we're talking about $40,000 just to mobilise an aircraft to come up to a place like Cairns, and that's before they're even doing the survey. And then the other options that we employ in the field is using a, like something like a cherry picker. So the, the sorts of the sorts of equipment that people would use to, to go up into trees to pick fruit, like small cranes, um, you can deploy those into the field and take photos from above as well. But nothing as, as simple and as easy to use as drones are. So they've really, really opened up the environmental science space, which is really, really exciting. And it's also added another dimension to it. It, it. It's far safer. I mean, I've been up in a cherry picker and I'd much rather keep my feet on the ground, thank you, and I could achieve pretty much the same results photography-wise by using a UAV or a drone rather than getting up in a cherry picker. Yeah, absolutely. I think you actually achieve better results. <laughs> you certainly get to cover a larger area as well and cheaper now as well, like especially with... You know, some of some of the off-the-shelf drones that are available now are so cheap, and it just really democratises our ability to capture this sort of information. If there's someone, say, of adult age who's uh, perhaps looking for a bit of a career change, and and they're thinking, been thinking about drones, would would you recommend that they they come and perhaps do one of your courses to get a better understanding of of what they can become involved in? Yeah, so we we offer outside of the the schools-based courses. We also offer a drone mapping online course as well. And so this is really designed for people that that preferably have a REPL or have some kind of training in using drones in the first place. And then it teaches them how they can actually use that drone to create maps as well. So whether that be to do the sort of thing that I do out on the reef or maybe in, or maybe just on their farm in their, in the back, uh, in their back paddock or something like that as well, these, these, this is the sort of course that will take you to that next level to say, okay, well, you, you have a drone and let's use it. Instead of just taking pretty pictures, let's work out how we can do some mission planning to create some information that we can use for mapping something and maybe how it changes over time as well. So that's our drone mapping course and that's fully 
fully online so you can do it at your own pace wherever you are in the world as well. Obviously, there's a lot of different platforms out there to do mapping with. Are there ones that, that you use frequently that you, you find are good platforms or apps to use with your drones? Yes, it's an interesting question because, I mean, that there are so many different apps and the thing is there's no one, one app or software that, that does it all either. So you might need an app for mission planning and then you'll need another one for stitching all your images together so you can make a complete area uh, area image. And then you might need another one for for analysing that information and creating a map at the end as well. So it's, it's, it's an interesting one, interesting space to be in. I do tend to use, for, for my mission planning, I'll use, if I'm using a DJI drone, so the, the Phantom, for example, I'll use either Drone Deploy or DJI Ground Station Pro app for my mission planning. And then when I want to stitch all those photos together, I'll use Pix4D. And then when I'm analysing those photos, depending on what I'm doing, uh, if, if I'm just using doing some, some basic mapping, I use ArcGIS, which is an Esri product. And if I'm doing a little bit more, I can more on the photo analysis side, I might use a program called eCognition. So there's just so many different ones in that workflow, which can make it really, really challenging when you're first starting out. And I think that's that's where our drone mapping course helps as well, because this sort of thing isn't covered when you get your remote pilot license. This really is that extra step. So figuring out what what software and what software combination is going to work for you can be really challenging, but we try and help out with that as well. So if, if someone comes and does a course with you and, and then has an area of interest that they particularly want to pursue, you're able to give them some help after that as well and help steer them in the right direction? Yeah, absolutely. So for, for anyone that purchases any of our online courses, we also hold a what we call an Ask the Expert call at once a fortnight at either 7 in the morning or 7, 7 in the evening just to capture different time zones. So it's every second Wednesday. And then basically anyone who's in our online programs can just jump online and, and mostly we may only have one or two people in there. So you can just have a face-to-face with me or whoever, whichever expert we've got online at the time. So we have lots and lots of online support like that. And of course, we're always available on email and phone as well. So there's there's lots of help for people who are interested in doing stuff like that. We run face to face courses as well, but for most people, the the most economical way of doing it is via the online course. So we we've had a bit good chat about uh, she maps and and yourself and Paul what what you're doing. This conference, tell us some details about the conference, when it is, and how do we get, how can we get registered. Yeah, for sure. So EduDrone is the name of the conference and it starts on the 30th of September and goes till the 4th of October. So that's the full week, Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time are the the scheduled times, each for an hour. And to to register, you can just go to education.shemaps.com and slash edudrone, E-D-U-D-R-O-N-E. So that's education.shemaps.com slash edudrone. And you could probably just Google edudrone as well, and that should get you to us. Or if in doubt, go to shemaps.com 
and contact us via there. We can always point you in the right direction. At the moment, we have sold out of our Tier 1 pricing tickets, so we are at Tier 2 at the moment, so it's just $39, which I think is ridiculously cheap for 40 speakers. And once Tier 2 is sold out, then it will go up to Tier 3, which is $49. But we've still got quite a few tickets left on Tier 2 now, but good time to jump in and get those. And you can register at any time, even after the conference starts as well. Excellent. Okay. Well, thanks very much for joining us this morning. It's been a very interesting chat, and I'm sure we're going to have a lot of listeners that look at getting involved in this conference to learn some more. And I've got a feeling you might get some increase in, in courses as well. Wonderful. Thanks so much for your time this morning. It's been great to chat. Good on you. Thanks, Karen. Bye for now. Thanks. See ya. Well, that's all for this episode. Remember to subscribe to the Drone Chat Podcast. Join our Facebook group, Safe Droning Australia, and check out the website, safedroningaustralia.com.au. Thanks for listening. I'm Shane Adamson. Happy and safe flying, everyone.